everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for August. I know, time is creeping on. There's only one thing to do. Um, to look at doing things slightly differently. So we are going to be speaking to a person tonight or today or tomorrow, depending whenever you listen, who are coming, taking the bringing their game Lander to Kickstarter, and they're looking at a particularly different way of engaging with people um, before the campaign. The company is called Intrepid Games. The person is Mr. Don Alexander. <laughs> He's not, it's Dan Alexander. It's just, you know, I'm just being nasty as usual. But anyway, um, hi Dan, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you, David. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Richard. Yeah, that's it. It's going to be that type. Of, it's going to be that type of conversation, isn't it? You know. Um, yeah, you've kind of completely thrown me. I don't know what to say. Well, I do want to say. I do want to say thank you for um, thank you for coming on. Um, the reason that we do this is quite simple. Is because there's quite simply there's not enough podcasts out there about tabletop and board gaming I've checked, scoured the internet can't find any and the other reason that we do this is because um, Dan got in contact and said I'd like to tell you about this fantastic game I put together and I went okay and then we've been having conversations back and forward about having conversations about him coming on to have a conversation about his game so which is why he is here Um, do you um to start things off, and it is pr- probably the most boring um, question to start any tabletop podcast, is how did you get into the hobby kind of in the first place? How do you remember you know, think, about your journey into the pressed and printed trees? I think the, the experience started when I was young, when my grandfather would um, play chess with me. And he would mercilessly beat me game after game after game. All right. And I'm just going to see with a stick. <laughs> I mean, with a, that, that was when I lost. Um, and through, through playing chess through my, I guess, young years, um, hmm. and then playing, you know, the sorts of games that you would in, in the eighties, um, Monopoly and Risk, Yahtzee, various different, games of the time I slowly stepped up into playing um, games like Catan yeah and enjoying you know the the challenge of besting your your friends and family and being 
only slightly competitive. Um, it's it's uh, it became the the thing whereby I'd start to I don't know get ideas about uh, this rule could be changed in in this sort of game, and uh, and I never kind of like thought I'd end up where I am today and actually making a game. Are you the type you mentioned you're not competitive? See, the type of person that would prefer people to everybody to walk away from a gaming experience saying they, they had a thoroughly good time, as opposed to you kind of secretly kind of <coughs> high fiving yourself, going, Yup, show these group of people how I can dominate an entire board, kind of thing. Um, I would say that it very much depends on who I'm playing with. All right, okay. Um, because being super competitive, mm-hmm. there's no point being super competitive when you are with people who are complete noobs. Because yeah. just beating someone out and out has no value. You have to play with people who are, you know, as good or better than you, mm-hmm. and then beat them. Then it means something. So, in terms of the the way I I play board games, I, I think yeah. that I would interact very differently with the different people that I would I would play it with. Do you have like a main game that you would play again and again and again? Uh, and the reason behind this is because I know a lot of people who who are in the hobby who and I'm probably guilty of this is rocking up to the, the club every single kind of time I'm there, you know, with a new game that everybody has to gather around and learn the rules. Um so I guess for yourself, do you have like a set game that you kind of continually bring to the table that you're kind of learning the kind of little nuances of the game so that when you are kind of facing off against somebody, it is a complete kind of battle of wits kind of thing? It would probably have been Catan. Yeah. We played it many different times and we had the different expansions and um, we played all sorts of different game variants of that. Mm-hmm. And that experience of playing that and, and Risk Legacy was another one um, that we really enjoyed. We we played the full kind of fifteen goes of it of writing stuff on the board, um, and th- those were really great, great memories of of playing those those two games. Definitely, is a good is Risk Legacy a good game then? Is it? I mean, you obviously you play through fifteen seasons, but I had a lot of people that say it's not, it's not amazing. But I wonder if Pandemic Legacy kind of came in and did a hold my beer moment. It kind of took maybe a lot of the, the love that Risk Legacy had built up and kind of I guess ran with it. I would say the experience of playing the game itself and adding the various different things that you do to the the board and uncovering the different things that that you uncovering the game I can't say any more than that because I don't want to ruin it if you haven't played it but it was such a great experience that it, it really was that kind of element of just can't wait to play it again next week kind of thing so just had such a, uh, a great time with with that that's probably um, one of the the notable ones especially from playing the previous version of Risk before that and perhaps wanting to do some of the things 
in Risk Legacy that you actually get to do, um, and never having the um, the balls almost to be able to actually draw on the board. So from from playing those sorts of games, uh, that's where my board gaming kind of stopped because over the last four and a half years of making Lander, I haven't had time to do anything else other than play Lander. Is that did you look towards that for other games as well? Then I mean, as you were, you know, as you've kind of continued to build up a collection. Is that the type of games that you're interested in? The ones that kind of offer a certain level of kind of, I guess, evolution in terms of the gameplay. Um, I would say that I like. I would. I would like to spend the, my money on a game that you can play again and again. Mm-hmm. Whether that that's a simple game like Splendor, I think you can mm-hmm. play Splendor again and again because it's easy to teach to people and it it kind of gets them understanding the game yeah. as it were I'm not so fond of these games which are more just that tells a story and it's a kind of a linear thing mm-hmm. and you, once you've played it that's it kind of kind of thing although it, it could be said Risk Legacy was, was like that mm-hmm. um, but because it you play it over so so many games. I guess it it took us a long time to play fifteen games because I think we met maybe once every three or four weeks. So it probably took it, I don't know, a year, for example, to 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 play all fifteen. Do you still have a copy of the game then? Do you still have? Did you still? Do you still? Did you hold on to the copy that you actually finished off? Was it your copy or was it somebody else's? Oh, it was my friend's parents uh, that, that got that game. Oh, right, okay. So I think they still have it. Did you take a picture of it, the kind of the final layout of the map and stuff like that as a keepsake? Uh, no. I don't think so. Because I've seen people um, with their Pandemic Legacy campaign mm-hmm. actually take the final board... And kind of frame it with like cards and stuff like that as a kind of like memento. Um, it's obviously ends up being a, like a, a kind of a, a complete kind of spoiler for anybody that walks into the living room and realizes, oh, thanks for, uh, thanks for ruining Pandemic Legacy for me. I'll never ever have to, to kind of buy that game again. Thanks. Uh, thanks kind of very much for that. Cheers. Um, in terms of your collection, then, have you, are you quite a big collector? Would you say you're one of these people that kind of regularly jumps on kind of Kickstarters or goes out and pre pre-orders the kind of the latest kind of hotness? No, definitely not. I'm the opposite of that. Um, I, I'm the kind of person that buys or finds something that mm-hmm. is, you know, is is really good, and then we'll just play kind of one thing. Um, in depth to really fully explore and understand the nuances of that game. So, for example, I mean, what have you bought kind of recently? That I mean, do you do a, do you do a lot of research then? I mean, do you like to even kind of like go as far as getting a demo of the game before you would commit to to going ahead and buying it? 
maybe, but I genuinely I haven't played any other board games other than Lambda in about four and a half years. Really? Yeah. It's it's been very much a a journey of having to spend all my available free time around my day job working on Lambda, and working on Lambda can consist of playing the game and mm-hmm. playing it with different people uh, mm-hmm. around the world. Um, my day job enables me to go around the world mm-hmm. and I take the game with me and play it with all sorts of different types of people, mm-hmm. styles of gamer and uh, ages and and so on and so forth. And in in doing that, I've probably played about 750 games of Lander in four and a half years. And do you log them all as well? Do you log them all with like the outcomes and stuff like that as well with kind of like notes? No. More more just get a feel for that the game is kind of working and flowing correctly. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then make a note and send that note to my friend who I'm, who I'm working on the game with, Sean. Uh-huh. And, and then we'll then investigate that. And we've had a, a a policy of not making knee-jerk kind of reactions to everything and more just taking the odd note when it comes up. And then if you find the that kind of element reoccurring, being in a situation whereby that's when we'll actually then think about making some changes. So in terms of my, my, my board gaming... I've maybe in four and a half years played a couple of different games when I've been to mm-hmm. different board game clubs around the world. Yeah. But it's really in, infrequent. What made you decide to kind of pick up the white the white paper and the pen and start on Lander in the first place? It was Boxing Day in 2014 mm-hmm. and went round to my friend and his parents to play Catan. And they they weren't really feeling it after Christmas, and there was just he and I sat in a room, surrounded by all our favourite games. We had Catan there, and mm-hmm. Risk and Battlestar Galactica, Munchkin, a whole load of different things, and you can't play any of those games with two people. And he just turned to me and said, "Should we make a game?" <laughs> and in a few seconds, I just kind of went, eh, okay. <laughs> and then from there, we got some paper and colored pens out and just started to play nothing. And it was kind of one of those things whereby, like, what do we have in our game? Like, what rules? And both yeah. of us being quite keen sci-fi fans, it's like, well, should we have some kind of space game? Like, yeah, okay. And then... Once you've kind of settled on the theme, it's like, and what should it be about? About, And then, because I just, the week before, played a game of Risk, whereby I physically had the biggest army I'd ever amassed in Risk, ever. Yeah. And it left my go. And before it got back to me, I was completely eliminated. Due to, like, statistically impossibly bad dice rolls. Yeah. Uh, when he asked me, like, what rules should we have in the game and what elements we should have in the game, my first answer, I like, kind of screamed at him, 
no dice. And that was the first ever rule of Lander, that there would be no dice in the game. And on, on from there, the conversation just kind of expanded on different elements. And <laughs> what you might see in Lander is some of all of our favorite games. We kind of took the best bits of all of our favorite games and the elements of the games which frustrated us for one reason or another. We took those so that they weren't in, in Lander. Did you... Is the version that you've taken to, to um, Kickstarter, is that vastly different from the one that you had in your hands, like, say, like two years ago? Have you made substantial changes to the game since it was kind of, like, first first kind of put together? Well, what's quite interesting about the journey is that we started making this game and it was a battling game mm-hmm. and you would develop a crew and the idea would be that you'd go to another planet and you'd battle against each other and through the course of the game you'd level up against each other and then fight each other and then win and we went down this road for I don't know four to six months something like that and had a, a situation whereby we just didn't like it. It it didn't make sense. And we kind of went back to the the drawing board in why would you go to another planet and then fight against each other? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one of the, the key elements of, of our journey is is trying to get the story right and for everything to be logical in order to move forward. So we had to go right back. We Effectively, we could have just stopped what we were doing there and then, but something made us feel like we'd done a reasonable amount of work and there were some things that we really liked. So we'd made this crew of 60 people yeah, and we had this um, idea for these triangles to give us resources and we took both of those elements and then went in like a complete different direction so for the first four to six months I think that game was a markedly different game to to where Lander is now but from that pivot I think the Lander then is very similar in some respects to where Lander is now Mm -hmm. but with four years of polish and the game itself hasn't changed much, but it has at the same time. So, for example, we have an event deck in the game, and that has had 10 iterations, like 10 full overhauls to actually get it right. Uh, we've had things added that we call the accolade deck. So, in Catan, you have the longest road, and it's a side uh, focus for you to be able to achieve extra um, victory points yeah. and we played the game with some guys in Q8 City uh, it was a really great game and, and they said that there was no uh, kind of side focus so immediately having that information and having Catan as a, a big inspiration to the game, it's like okay well how do I make that happen in Lander and then kind of came up with these these accolades and um, and 
a number of other things in, in the game in, in terms of the refinement is the refinement of the English language. I would say the one of the hardest things to get right is to be able to write an instruction in English and have it not be ambiguous. And and refining the wording on... I think the game has about 550 cards. Uh, just That's making reasonable size of cards. <laughs> just, Did- just making sure that every card that's kind of spoken or played or, or what have you yeah. That it's it kind of follows a game mechanic, follows on theme. It's clear that it's not going to cause world-ending arguments around a ball gaming table, that, that, that sort of thing. That's what's taken the time. Yeah, there's the whole thing about the Oxford comma, isn't there? I see that, that kind of argument coming up a couple of times. No, but I mean, I've seen um, games which are universally loved and uh, you go to Board Game Geek and they've got like huge FAQs on there with people kind of asking kind of question after question after question because there's, you know, you're right, kind of like if there's a bit of ambiguity with the rules in it, um, any, when you're playing a game, anything that stops you from actually playing that game, if it's like a rules check or something like that, can have a negative impact on the kind of the overall the experience of the game, you know? If you're like saying, Well, I've gotta I've gotta go back, it was brilliant, but there's nothing I think worse than kind of dead time where four of you are sitting around just kinda of wondering when you can continue and you've got one person kind of frantically kind of flicking through the kind of the rule the kind of the rule book as well. Um you mentioned <coughs> playtesting. And you mentioned Q8 City. So you mentioned, you obviously, one of the things you said was your job takes you kind of quite, quite far and wide. Has that, has that kind of helped to educate you on what, how, how people play games in kind of like different, different countries as well? You know, how, how people are likely to kind of approach playing a certain game as well? Did that kind of, was that, I mean, to me, I know a lot of people who they play test their game at maybe the three or four groups that they go to, you know, and then they'll take it to like a a convention to kind of play test it further and get some feedback. But um, how helpful do you think it was in kind of like having kind of like a worldwide group of play testing to make kind of lander where it was today? I think it's been really interesting to understand how non-native English speakers Mm -hmm. relate to a game that has a reasonable degree of English language throughout it. Mm -hmm. And that has been a really interesting discovery because, you know, you might imagine that everyone you know is is fluent in, in the language. And when you take it to play with people who English is their second or maybe third or maybe fourth language that that Mm -hmm. they know, and you see them struggling or or not, and and those kind of things have have been quite an interesting learning experience. And what we had with the game was a lot of technically correct scientific language and we were quite proud 
I think maybe two and a half years ago to mm. have this game, which was, you know, like really nerdy in, in its design and everything being right. And what I found through playtesting internationally is a lot of people didn't know what those words meant. So therefore they couldn't interact and relate to the game as well, even though these words were flavor text. Yes. So in playing it with this wide international community, I would say the biggest and most fascinating thing is that we changed all of that language and just stripped it out of the game. So now at the top of the card, we don't have a a very clever, complicated header. It says something like kill crew or free upgrade. And an understanding how to make the game have very simple instructions in language that everyone can hear is probably what I've I've learned from from that international playtesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's in term. I mean, in terms of um, playing the game. I mean, let's get into the gameplay side of things. I mean, if I if I've sat down with a sat down in front of you at the table. You've set lander up. What am I going to be doing in the game? What's an example of how would I would kind of like play around? We have made a a modular board. Mm-hmm. So Carcassonne being an influence where you have tile placement, and we've made a modular board that expands as as you play. So lander has a number of different interesting elements to it. In so far as you have a, a board which is different every time. There's a, yeah. a couple of tile trays, and these have resources on, on them, so energy, food, and titanium. And each of the tiles we call sectors, and these sectors produce different values. And you have an engine, which is this board which you are expanding and upgrading and getting your, your resources in. But separately to that, you also have a crew, and you start off with two crew members that come out from stasis and we've crash landed on this first planet outside of our solar system with liquid water on the surface mm-hmm. and you're in a situation whereby you start with kind of almost nothing and you get a few resources and you get some action cards and training and item cards and what you're looking at doing is over the course of the game developing your crew getting more crew members from stasis training them with different training cards equipping them with different items playing different action cards so the game has a a high degree of um, player interaction through these action cards and through the development of, of the board and your crew your aim of the game is to complete missions and the player who completes the most mission stars wins the game and there are three different game styles and these game styles actually came out from going to the UK Games Expo back in 2017 and we came with this 50 minutes per player game like hey guys come play our game and people looked at us like we're idiots like no we're an expo we're you know, we've got to see all of the stuff here and we can give you a a short period of time. Yeah. And on the fly, literally within 15 minutes, like for the first, say, three hours of being there, I'm seeing this as as an issue and a barrier and no one playing the game with us. 
just over kind of 15 minutes around lunchtime on the first day, we kind of jerry-rigged this very rough, quick version of, of the game. Mm-hmm. And then we had people play it and, and love it and and so on. And, and it led, being first-time game designers, it led to this whole study of uh, is game time significant? And we have found that it, that it is. People will choose to play a game or not based on the the available time, you know, the time that it says on the box. And this being new information to us was was very interesting. And actually, we split the game up into three different styles of play because we went with the the full lander experience, this 50 minutes per, per player game, we made an easier version. Yeah. And that played at 30 minutes per player. And then in introducing that, we had feedback where people would say to us, like there were there were too many decision points was the overarching feedback note that that we made. So we further stripped it back, um, and now we have basic simulation, which is twenty minutes per player, and is a you know a full enjoyable game in its in its own right, and that has a a win condition of the first player to achieve seven mission stars wins. When you go to the early arrival game variation, then the first player to achieve ten mission stars, the game just doesn't end. It signals the last round, so the last year of of play. And you all players play out that, that year until somebody has the most mission stars. So somebody might trigger the game on ten mission stars, somebody else might win on twelve, for example. And then what we call the planned arrival is the highest number of mission stars in five years, five rounds of play. And each game plays strategically differently and kind of fills that time niche in in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's all very well, as you say, getting people around to actually play the game. I think um, one of the people that I thought did it really well was um, James Naylor, who's he's about to release Magnet, the first city. And the way that he did demos is he basically split it into like uh, three sections. And he said, okay, the, the bigger game is bigger. He says, but what we're going to do is we're going to play three rounds at the beginning of the game and then what I'm going to do is you're going to give me two minutes and then I'm going to set up the scenario for like the final two rounds of the game so you can see what happens kind of like at the very very end so there wasn't the kind of bit where you missed out on some of the mechanics that were there and also you didn't miss out on kind of the end game so you could see how things like kind of like final final scoring could work and yeah I mean I totally see where you're coming from in terms of if I mean, even if I'm going out to play at the local game club, we're only there for from round about six o'clock until nine o'clock, kind of quarter past nine. And it usually takes, with any game, it usually takes about half an hour for everybody to sit down, scratch their bum and decide actually what they're going to play. So if there's a huge kind of... Um, time window and getting a game kind of played then it, it kind of it has um, it, it can put us off but it depends how many times you've played it because we could have played a game like three or four times and we know how easy it is to get set up and how easy it is to kind of is kind of getting 
getting played. So for you is the is the play testing side is getting people to actually play the game. Is that a really, really important thing for you to actually rather than to read rule books and look at videos to actually get them physically get bums on seats and get them kind of playing a copy of the game? Is that is that fairly important for yourself? Yeah, if if you're looking at making a game, I would say the key thing that I've learned in, in my time in making Lander is playtest, 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 playtest. I couldn't mm-hmm. say it enough. And actually seeing people playing it and and you know, not having to read the rule book and, and so forth, but you tell them the game and just let them play and mm-hmm. see how receptive they are to it and, and so on and so forth. And that is the one kind of thing that I, I would say I've valued over this journey the most is just the number of times I've I've managed to get people to, to play the game mm-hmm. and to see their responses and things has effectively enabled Lander to be the game that it is today. And again, that the game in a lot of ways hasn't really changed from how it was four years ago and in other ways massively has because of all of that very 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 like subtle fine tuning of every single part of it and with so many cards in the games when you have combinations between different um, data points the more every number you add it's factorially higher and with so many things in, in the game and all of those elements interplaying with each other being able to play it so many times has effectively enabled me to smooth it out as as best as possible. So the game is is very balanced uh, as a result. And I would say that if anyone was looking at making a, a game with a number of different elements to it and having those different number of you know combinations of different parts, mm-hmm. the only way you can get it to play right is to is to just play so many times that you see potentially those combinations actually happen. Has it? Um, have you kept the parts that you've maybe taken out of the game to save for expansions or potential follow-ups or completely different games at all? Not really. We have made an expansion for the game. Uh-huh. So the, the game that is available that's as part of our play before you pledge campaign is in um, a two to four player game. And we're going to be releasing the expansion to the game as a five to six player add on and additional level whereby each of the corporations, which is what you play as, as a, as a player Mm. rather than playing all the same as what they do in Lander is that they all play differently and they all have their unique payment structures and what have you. Um, So it's what we've taken out of the game I would say predominantly is is language and nothing's really come out of the game as mechanics as, as such yeah but okay. just but just how the game has been refined you know a three goes to a two because if it's three it breaks the game in certain yeah, instances yeah. that that sort of thing and 
that's what that refinement process has been is just trying to see that happen in enough instances that you can say yeah that's that's too powerful that's broken mm-hmm. 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 what made you decide to you mentioned the the play before you pledge route yeah what made you decide to do that because that is it's a big commitment in terms of resources and you know finance and everything like that because mm-hmm. um, it, in a, in essence what you're doing is you're saying like you know it's not a case of the the rule books available f- to download you've correct in saying this you've partnered up with over a hundred and I think it's 130 140 different kind of board game kind of establishments mm-hmm. and sent them a copy of the game to encourage yep. you know to get people to actually be able to sit there and physically get their hands on it yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. It came from, um, I guess, a, a, a conversation whereby about two and a half years ago, it would have been on, on the back of going to uh, UKG, I think, and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe Essen. I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly wh- when it was. But around that time, we were starting to get people say really, really incredible things about about the game. We had people at Essen coming back to us at the end of the show saying, we've played loads of games and this is our favorite of the whole show. And around then, we were starting to think, okay, well, we need to start understanding the industry that we're in a, a, a bit better and looking yeah. around and looking at Kickstarter and, and what have you because we were heading to Kickstarter but because it was still quite early on and you know we we're naive and ignorant in, in a lot of ways we didn't really understand what we were approaching yeah and then in looking at Kickstarter and you see that the industry is demanding you know but better games, better quality components, better artwork, and so on and so forth. That the cost of board games now for you know the sorts of board games that that, that you want to buy, they cost a hundred quid. It's a, a normal kind of routine price, or a hundred dollars. Um, and we were just thinking, why is it you can't play these games before you actually put your hard-earned money into your pocket and buy one of these games? And we appreciate that there's a great review system. We've got an awful lot of people who, you know, have great reviews, but I think that like music board games are a personal experience, you know, in a group of friends of two, three, four of you, you might love it. Your friend might hate it. And it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we just had this conversation about, well, why, why can't, why can't that, that be, a philosophy for the industry almost that that you know people should be able to play the game before they pledge and we we just thought well let's look into that and we looked at a whole load of different manufacturers on the back of Essen and we we had a list of 12 and we narrowed it down to three and uh, strangely they, they were in a triangle around Shanghai and in looking at all of these manufacturers a lot of them had this minimum order quantity so if you're a 
game designer, they can only make 500 or 1,000 as, as the minimum run that, that they will do. Yeah. And we thought, ah, oh, okay, well, this is um, why, you know, potentially one of the reasons why. And in going to China, I, I flew to China, and I my my question was, this is the, the vision. I think people should be able to play games before they spend their hard-earned money on a game that they don't know that they like personally. They can judge their favorite re- reviewers and so forth. Um, and can you make me a print run of of 100? And in chatting with, with these different manufacturers, Gameland, who are our chosen partner, we had a way and they figured out a way that, that we can do it. And in in unlocking that with them, it, it gave us the ability to print this small number. And then the idea was, you know, all this time ago, um, before I went to China, was this idea of let's let's make this this run and, and then get it out there. And we just kind of felt that it does two things in in that it if you think about the the nature of the industry at the moment, Kickstarter is this online kind of world unto itself and board game cafes and stores is a separate kind of world unto itself. And we just thought, well, surely we could bring the whole gaming community together and, you know, bring the whole world together a little bit by making board game cafes like hubs of excitement. This is where the new games come out. This is why you would go to your board game cafe, not just to play any old board game, but I can go there and play this big thing that's about to happen. Um, and and we feel like being able to bring this game to the, you know, a, a board game cafe in inverted commas near you means that the, 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 the real life Brick and mortar stores can be supported in, in this way, and, and their businesses can can thrive. The online world of Kickstarter gets a game with better feedback because now we have this mass blind playtest from you know all of these hundreds of, of locations will play it with you know multiple people, and all of that feedback can come in, so we can make the game the best it can possibly be, um, and. And anyone backing then on on Kickstarter, whether they've played it or not, can have confidence that, yeah, I'm going to give you my money whether I've played it or not, because the game will be the best it, it can be when it when it arrives on Kickstarter. So this philosophy of of play before you pledge, we kind of found seemed to tick all of these boxes, and and that's why we we kind of wanted to we believed in it, so we we wanted to put our resources into making it a, a reality. Yeah, I think um, it's. I think it, it can be interesting. I think it can depend on. Um, it can depend on the resources the person's got in the background. You know, I think some people come to Kickstarter with a very, very good idea and kind of minimum budget. Um, but also, I think you're right that a lot of them have gone to manufacturers, and the manufacturers have turned around and said, "Your minimum order is five hundred or thousand units." So that has kind of stopped them straight away in their tracks from saying, "Well, um, I, I mean, I've I've taken um, a few games for kind of preview purpose purposes that 
they've got the basic stuff of the art. They've got the very, very basic components and everything like that. They've not got anything kind of more than that. And, you know, I think you're, you're right. If people could try the actual game and, um, if you're able to publish the data to say, okay, this is what people like about the game. This is what people kind of, you know, were hesitant about the game. It's just allowing people to kind of have that have that choice and have to have an educated kind of kind of decision you know mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that's what where we're really coming from it this this belief that the industry wants um wants things to be the the, the best they, they can be mm-hmm. and the cost of games to to make that is is high so people haven't got the, the money to just drop out you know hundreds of dollars pounds whatever currency you're in on all these different games mm-hmm. and i think that it, it, it would just be good that because there's so many genres and types of games and style and play and, and things that, that board games aren't aren't exclusive and that's the amazing thing about the industry but surely if if we as game designers uh, want to make these good games and charge these these high, you know, ticket prices for the good quality components and, and art and so forth. Mm-hmm. Then surely you want to know that the game is good, um, and and being worked on. I've heard and had so many people come up to me to say that they've backed the Kickstarter, you know, two years ago, and and they still haven't got their thing because it hasn't been, you know, fin- finished yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kind of view viewpoint on that is what I've learned is that having a good idea isn't good enough because the good idea is, is only the, the beginning point actually playing and, and seeing that idea through in, in reality and seeing all, you know, where the idea breaks down that you could never have known that you didn't know over a really long period of time. That, that for me is, has, has been the, the important, element of this in that we're not taking people's money and holding on to it for years and then delivering them a product thereafter yeah we've taken the time to to get it right and then when we feel as though like this is almost there we're kind of we've put out what we're calling our 98 percent prototype Mm -hmm. to say we think this is nearly perfect but we know it's not perfect perfect Mm -hmm. and now we can interact with the whole industry and get them to tell us what needs to happen just to get it to that 100% kind of ready um, line. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, as a kind of a, a philosophy kind of go, going forward, if you're in a situation whereby you don't have the resources, what I would perhaps see potentially happening in, in the future would be that you have Kickstarters whereby you develop relationships with board game stores and cafes around the world and if you believe in in your idea you get those people to 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 back you and you you find a manufacturer that can produce a a small print run and then you just have have kickstarters that just have a a hundred or so backers and they're all these the board game stores and cafes and then that's where you get your money to make the games to go to them People mm. play them in their location. Their businesses thrive. You know, the board game is 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 refined in in the best way it can be as a result. And then, and then you go to Kickstarter. Want you know, want for the, for the for the big one. 
I think we're going to see a change in how manufacturing and stuff like that is is going to happen anyway because um, because of several kind of political things kind of going on with regards to just importing and exporting anyway. You know, um, we've got the we've you know we've spoken about the the tariffs with regards to goods coming in from China into America, which is potentially going to affect the entire tabletop industry not just people sending goods into the US we've got the the implications of what's going to happen after the end of October with regards to kind of imports and things like that as well so um, I mean I just discussed this kind of like the other day regarding kind of um, quite simply you know UK manufacturers and, and and like you said well you know as I say is there space maybe for manufacturers to do kind of do smaller Dirty print runs, basically knocking off a hundred games to allow businesses to do what you're, what you're kind of, you know, what you're currently doing, kind of yourself. Um, in terms of the Kickstarter itself, you're not going to be running your Kickstarter until, um, basically into like it's not going to be as in March of next year. Is that the kind of the date? That you had on this is date you've got on your website, so I'm taking that as gospel. But you can obviously yeah. correct well, me if I'm wrong, Dan. One of the interesting things as well is that when people talk about trust, um, there's trust in that the product will be delivered on time and what have you. Mm-hmm. And what we have learned in this journey, because we've just ordered a quantity from China had it go on different boats, have it sail around the world, have it been delayed by about five weeks going into America, we've learned a whole load of lessons about di- having extra copies because copies get damaged in transit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's whole loads that we've learned just by doing this small run that has been experience that we wouldn't have had if we hadn't have, uh, have done it. So mm. when we come and approach the, the gaming industry as, as first-time publishers. Now that we've got the experience to, to do it, we're in a situation whereby you know we can convey that and hopefully give confidence to people wanting to back the game. Mm-hmm. Now, when you send about the Kickstarter date, we originally had all of our ducks lined up for the 1st of October 2019. And because the, the ships were delayed, by a significant period of time and it threw everything back. We're just getting the final copies arriving to their final destinations in and throughout North America today, I think. We're in a situation whereby from doing a load of research on Kickstarter itself, we didn't want to launch in the Christmas months. So we've pushed it back to the 3rd of March 2020 mm-hmm. because of that. And also, it we were also in two minds about it as well because we were thinking well initially if the copies would have arrived on the 1st of July we'd have had all of July, August, September so three months for people to play the game before they pledge Um, and in pushing it back to March I think that having a much longer period of time will enable more people to, to give us more feedback and I think that we're we're quite pleased in some respects that the shipping was delayed so that we we can we can get more feedback in before we actually hit the button and say okay this is going to be the final final version of, of this 
Have you thought about a final price then? Or a um, pledge levels? Is that a kind of a is that a discussion to be having after a after a relaxing Christmas? So we we the game that's out in the world right now. We think that it would price between eighty five and eighty nine dollars. Mm-hmm. From going to Gen Con and playing with about 150 people, we've had some feedback about having resource trackers and uh, other components of the game. And all of these things cost more money. Um, so with, we're trying to listen and take on this weight of feedback. Uh, and we've had a couple of people post on on our social media around the world in the, in the last few days. And we've heard from them that resource trackers seems to be a thing. So we're, we're listening, but if we introduce a whole load of components that just weren't there previously, then the knock on effect is that we, we think that this is going to up the game by say another $10. So okay. we, we, we reckon that we'll get the game to probably being $99 game. Okay. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Um, if people have uh, listened along tonight and they're interested in keeping an eye, I mean, even, um, or if they're a retailer and they're interested in kind of keeping an eye and maybe can reaching out to you guys as well, um, where do you exist on the internet webs? So our website is www.landathegame.com. Okay. And through there, you can find our social media channels at Land of the Game on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Cool. Okay. And uh, we'll make sure that we put those links into the show notes so we've got notes to show. Um, Thank you very much. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, you know where we are. Don't be silly. Go search. We're not wizards in Google. You'll find us. Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and we've got our blog and we've got our website and we've got our YouTube channel and we've come up on all these ridiculous podcast catchery places that don't some of them have got the word pod in them, some of them have got the word cast in them and some have got neither in them, it's ridiculous just uh, just wizards <laughs> don't even try, you'll do so well and then you made a big huge mess at the end, like an excited puppy <laughs> Um, if you like what you've listened to tonight there's a couple of things you can do um, don't do what Dan did do something different um, <laughs> no, you can tell somebody else about us um, you can reach out to us on podcast at wearenotwizards.com if you'd like to consider coming on the show um, or you can tell somebody else about us tell us a friend, tell a neighbour tell somebody you don't like, tell some random on the street I don't know, just it helps spread the word of our nonsense out there or you can jump onto Apple Podcasts and you can give us a subscription which is nice you can give us a rating you can give us a review if you are going to be giving us a rating or review quite simply do not give us 10 stars because I'm sick of all the 10 stars we're getting but also don't give us a 1 star because if you do we kind of get upset about it give us something in the middle like a 5 because it's average, then we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average tonight, rather wonderful, rather fantastic, Mr. Dan Alexander. 
thank you very very much for coming on sir thank you very much and lastly just uh go into your local in inverted commas cafe or venue and play lander now before we go to kickstarter on the 3rd of march 2020 you got play time you got six months you got lots you got seven months do something get out get out your chair that's what we're saying to you um there's only two more things to do the first thing is to remember that we're many things but we're not wizards are we wizards dan no we are not wizards fantastic and the second thing is to say goodbye so it's a goodbye from dan say goodbye dan and this is goodbye from me And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and um, what's the Zoolander thing again? (laughs) The important question that you need to ask is, are we making an animal-based prequel to this game? Yes. And are you calling it... (laughs) Are you calling it Zoolander? (laughs) That will be a conversation for your next podcast, Richard. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds good. But until until the next time, uh, bye. Goodbye. No, you hang up. No, you, no, hang, you hang up. up. No, you, no hang you hang up. <laughs> a wizard is never linked. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 